A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Leclerc's Premature Donuts for the Tifosi. That's suggested by Phil B. Scrolling on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and welcome to the San Marino Grand Prix Race Review. No, 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 wait. It's the Formula One Rolex Grand Premio del Made in Italy, El del Emilia Romagna 2022 Race Review. And in a sprint weekend, that certainly delivered another chapter in an intriguing 2022 season. We saw Red Bull break serve in Italy as the champions struggled once again to find pace. So coming up, we'll discuss what did Red Bull do right? We'll discuss what Ferrari didn't do right. McLaren's quiet recovery and George Russell shining through Mercedes' woes. And the sprint race. Do you love it? If so, why are you wrong? And what does this race say about the future of DRS? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined on the show by Matt Two Rumpets. Currently not Googling how to illegally make your cart faster without getting caught. Kyle Power. Cautious safety or intentional DRS experiments. And Chris Catman-Turner. Looking forward to a sprint of a podcast. Oh, very nice. That's your panel. Catman, Kyle and Matt Trumpets. Now, on the show, what we started doing last season was starting with a big ticket event or uh, something of a discussion point so we got one delivered to us on lap one turn one and it gave us our first opportunity to play a game whose fault is it now don't worry we are going to get deep into the tire strategies we're going to to get into the absolutely fantastic red bull one two where i really think they schooled the rest of the field today in nearly every area but we do like 
to to start with uh, with something big, and we'll start with this racing incident at Mr. Apex Podcast. We have a the opposite of a no blame culture. We have a full blame culture. There's no such thing as a racing incident in Mist Apex, Matt. And I, I think that policy, which I have learned through my toxic marriage, is one I want to continue. Yeah, it makes for an entertaining show. And it's always correct. If you look deep enough, there's always someone who at least <laughs> legally should have been responsible for whatever disaster just happened. Yeah, and sometimes it's not even who should have got penalized. Sometimes it's who could have avoided the accident, yep. who was most to blame for the accident, and who would have made their own team most unhappy with their role in that incident. So it was uh, Daniel Ricardo uh, got a, a good run on Carlos Sainz. I think Carlos Sainz was a, a little bit ahead going into the corner. It looks like Daniel Ricardo hit, caught a bit of curb, uh, went out and hit Sainz. So the question I'll ask my panel is, Whose fault is it? Is anyone blaming Carlos Sainz at this point? No, we'll start with you then, Kyle. Whose fault is it? Well, more at more fault than the other one, you, you'd have to say it was, if you're going to go into a sign blame, yes. it would have been Ricardo who was at fault because um, Sainz left him all the room in the world. Yes, it's the first corner of a damp race to hut going into a chicane at Imola, but um, it was Ricardo. He just caught the curb. It kicked him slightly wide and it was the smallest of touches onto sides and then they got tangled up and messy. So ultimately, I think it's a racing incident. Oh my God. Got it absolutely spot on by not penalising it, but (laughs) it was predominantly on Ricardo. Okay, what did I just say, Kyle, about racing incidents? (laughs) (laughs) It's predominantly Ricardo's fault. (laughs) Come on. I can fight it the other way. So what we can say is that when they hit each other, yes, it looked like science was giving him all the room in the world. He was right on the outside, up on the curb, just about to turn right. But actually at the apex of the corner, science was a little bit closer to Ricardo and actually forced him up onto the curb. So that actually meant that Ricardo, the, the curbs around here are absolutely treacherous in the wet. So you don't want to be anywhere near them, as we found out. And science shouldn't have been that close to him. A map. Well, yes. I mean, the obvious answer is Daniel Ricardo in the study with a curb. However, <laughs> I get that. I get that reference. It's good. I'm glad you do. Yeah. I, I know this is a game that we play on both sides of the pond, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad You're I safe. went for that one. Um, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to note that the only reason they were there was because uh, Signs did not have the greatest of qualifyings, did he? And although he recovered to P4, as we saw in the race, the dirty side of the grid was very damp and everybody on that side got a terrible, terrible start. So if you really wanted to blame signs for this, you could point to his qualifying on Friday is the reason Ricardo, whose entire fault it actually was, <laughs> took him out of the race okay. at the first I, I think turn. I'd rather address the fault once it got into the corner. Uh, Kyle, then Chris. Yeah, um, going into the corner... Um, Ricardo was actually ahead. What, said what? Science was got he? a really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricardo was actually ahead of Science going into the corner. It was Science breaking later and putting a move around the outside. So I believe at the point of breaking, Carlos's front wheels were in line with Ricardo's rear wheels. So he was actually ahead from the top down view. That's what it looked like. So he put a move on. And I don't really want to give blame to anybody. If you're going to blame someone, it's going to be Ricardo's fault. But it was just one of those unfortunate two lines converging. Slight tap, slippy, 
they couldn't really done much more to avoid that, really. Okay, I just want to counter that slightly because like, I shared a picture with you guys earlier where I, I thought Signs like was a, if, if you're right, if he was if it was in the breaking zone that he he made up the time, it was a long way out from the corner. So it definitely wasn't like a lunge around the outside. I felt like as they were like getting into the apex zone, he was comfortably ahead by then, whether or not he got there you know, by breaking better. Catman. He was, and Sainz uh, had to break uh, later because Ricardo was on the inside. He was breaking really early, trying to make sure he didn't understeer outwards. And Sainz managed to get around the outside. I think he was desperate to make up for the errors that he's had in the last two races because he's had a real shocker. You're blaming Sainz, Catman. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I think uh, in front of the Tifosi, yeah. you do not go out on lap one of the race. You skip the corner if you need to. There's no way he could have known he needed to skip the corner because Ricardo was behind him when he hit him. I, I just want to point that out from a logistics yeah. point of view. What I love about this incident, though, is Signs very clearly interviewed early on is like, well, I felt like I left him really a lot of room and he hit me. And then Ricardo post race looking at the video going, oh, you know, I was trying to leave him all the room and oh, yeah, it was the curb. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's like the best of intentions. Maybe if. Ricardo would try to really squeeze them. They both would have made it around the corner okay. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, if Ricardo maybe wasn't trying to be so courteous towards him, it wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have gone on the curb and wouldn't have been kicked wide. But that's all we can kind of do in those situations. He did the right thing, and I don't think either of them would do anything different again. But um, just to address the start situation, everybody on the left-hand side of the grid, well, in the in the first three rows, got a better start than the right-hand side of the grid. Now, I think that's because it's actually offline. That was the dirtier side, the less used tarmac, which has the actual stones of the tarmac are less polished, so it gives you more traction and more purpose uh, purchase. It's like in karting when you're racing on slicks, you always go and look for the least used bits of racetrack to get the traction and the grip. So I think that's why as the grid goes down, the racing line converged. So I think that's why we saw the first three rows on the left-hand side of the grid get a better launch. Yeah, I think you're right. The racing line runs through those spots and it was much drier and cleaner there for for those um, those on the left-hand side of the grid. Okay, I think you're all being a bit too generous with Ricardo and uh, apologies to the Aussies, but here's what I think is that, I think Carl's probably painted the picture correctly that Sainz got ahead in the braking zone, but early enough that he was ahead and he he sort of, he owned the corner. If you look at the the stills, which I did frame by frame, Sainz has left Ricardo enough room to get through without using the curb. They could have gone through there side by side. Furthermore, Sainz goes all the way to the edge of the track on the right-hand side. Now, I don't believe a car has to leave the track. I think the stewards are trying to go away from, say, the situation last season where Verstappen just basically hit Hamilton and Hamilton to survive had to go off. I think you've got to penalise Ricardo in this situation. I'm not saying you've got it's a hanging offence, but I think you've got to give him a time penalty. I, I've never liked that there's extra slack on lap one, turn one. He put Carlos Sainz out of the race because he got greedy in that move. He he could have looked at that situation when Sainz is ahead of me. He, a corner like that, you are modulating your brakes to a certain extent. You're not just slamming on the brakes at maximum. So there is an opportunity to to break more into those turns. But I don't think he's done that, Ricardo. I think he's given himself the maximum opportunity to overtake. So he's not just trying to, uh, to avoid signs. He's trying to overtake. The curb gives him the best angle into the next corner. And, and there's a risk with going over the curb and he's stuffed it and he's gone all the way out and he's ended up hitting the rear. So definitely by the time they get to the outside, 
He's planted the rear of Carlos Sainz and put him out of the race. I think you've got to start penalising that. It's not. I'm not saying you're a bad person, Kyle. That's if you did that to me. I'm not. You're not a bad person, but you took a risk. It didn't pay off. You've put me out of the race, so you get a penalty. See, I don't think he took a risk. I think it was um, it was heat of the moment. They just happened. They're going into turn one. As you say, you make a good point about the brake modulation. They're not all braking on the limit. One because yeah. they can't see. Yeah, 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 two because they're trying they're to go in a pack into the as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, and he sees science going around the outside, knowing full well what science is going to do, and he's like, "I've got to check up here." If if he was taking a risk, he would have just let the brakes off and tried to go fully side by side to the apex, but he didn't. He saw what was happening, tried to adjust for it, and unfortunately, just the yeah. curb just kicked him a little bit wide. So, I don't so, think sorry, he sorry, did so, anything wrong. So, Carl, who adjusted for it? Ricardo. Ricardo. So in control of the car, he, yep. he took those decisions that ended up putting him to the outside of the exit on a chicane where another car already existed. It's entirely his fault. He's, he's, he's wrecked someone's race. And if you want to say, someone's saying in the live chat, it's a good point. Are you penalising the incident or, or the result? I think I've been clear enough on these outside of the corner things to know that I'm not just penalising the result. But I think if you just move across track, because he's basically moved all the way from one side of the track to all the way to the other side of the track on lap one, and there's a car there. Like, if that's not a penalty, what is Matt? Well, I think it's a matter of intent. He did not intentionally move over there and bonk it into signs. He was trying to leave room, and this is this is why it's his fault. It was a misjudgment round the curb. It did send him into science, and so much so that when he saw it on video, he later went to find Carlos and apologize for the incident. Okay. So, I mean, but, that's, but you, you that's wanted, kind of a thing. You wanted Stroll punished for a misjudgment in his mirrors, so misjudgments can be a penalty, can't they? Uh, misjudgments can be a penalty, but in that case, if we're going to bring up Stroll and relitigate that, which I don't really want to do, it was Stroll actively not paying attention to what was going on around him versus Ricardo, who was very much paying attention and trying to avoid the bad result. Well, we don't want to see all of these first lap things. And this is why they're more lenient on the first lap. As they said in the commentary, if you're penalizing that, no one's going to want to try and make a move. Now, there's a key different differentiator here. He was adjusting to somebody making an overtake on him. It wasn't him having a last, like, desperate last late-braided lunge on the brakes. If it was and that crash had happened, if he was the one forcefully making a move, then he may well have been looking at a penalty. But it was the context going in that he was trying to get around with somebody making a move on him. It was completely unintentional. So I, I think, I that's, think they, yeah. it was the right choice not to okay. penalise him. That's the most generous interpretation of what he was trying to do. I, I will still maintain, this is Danny Rick, he loves sending it. He saw someone up the other, uh, uh, go around the outside and he went, uh-uh, not on my watch and went for it. Catman, last word from you. Yeah, I agree with Kyle on this one. I think if he, he was uh, adjusting for <laughs> Spanners giving him a slight, uh, Spanners, not Spanners, Science giving him a slight squeeze. We're very similar. And, uh, yeah. and then he would have made it in the dry. Unfortunately, the curbs are slippery when wet. Yeah. And I think, I just think everybody has those factors available to them. And I, I'm all for racing drivers taking a risk. But at some point, you, you know, you have to p- police that and go, yeah, you took a risk, but it didn't pay off. And it didn't pay off. But if you if you want that, I mean, everyone can do that. Everyone can take a, a jump over the curb at turn one and we'll just have skittles, you know, all through all throughout the pack. I don't know. Look at them. Look at them all advocating for the Wild West. Feedback. Uh, if you want to give feedback, Matt at MissedApex.net because Matt is going to tell us where the race was won and lost.
So, Matt, what I'd like you to do, if that's okay, is to talk a little bit about tyres. And I don't, I know I'm throwing this at you, I'm surprising you, I've not given you a chance to prep. Uh, but what I'd like to know, and, and what I'm sure some, some listeners would like to know, is what's the challenges facing the team once they're, they're on the grid, it's wet, it's not raining, they're on the intermediates, then they have to decide when to change and, and then whether to change again later. So what was going on with the tyre strategy? Well, you asked me this question, and I'm going to respond in an unexpected way by saying, I don't think there's a tyre strategy when the weather is like this. It's a tyre gamble. Now, uh, according to Pirelli, the crossover time from uh, intermediates to slicks was around minute 30, minute 31. And they were running that as soon as the second or third lap of the race. But no one out there felt like it was time to put the slick tires on. And here I'm going to point to this very same incident we we're talking about. The reason we got the race we did was because Ricardo got punted, got back in the race and was running at the back. And round about the end of lap 16, McLaren said, you know what? Norris is way up the field. Let's bring you in and see what the times are. And this was the gamble where a lot of people, a couple of people really won and a couple of people really, really lost amongst them, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, that was, um, and that was a fascinating period of the race because what I found really interesting was I actually think the window was two or three laps before and that was kind of half proven by Ricardo instantly setting the timing screen to light, like no warm-up issues. And that's because they all thought the rain was still going to come. So they're hanging on for dear life, wanting to keep the intermediates. And this is what it was a bit of a strange situation. I've never seen it before. And he goes, the door was wide open for someone to take a gamble and nobody took it for two or three laps. Yeah. And there you have the weather reports. There's going to be more rain. No one wants to come into the pits, put on a pair of slicks, and then three laps later have to put the intermediates on. So you get this interesting situation where my enters are basically done. I mean, I certainly for the Haas, they were toast. And you've got this thing where, on the one hand, I'm trying to defend, but on the other hand, I'm having to constantly drive offline to try and keep these tires alive yet another lap. And yeah, and the whole time this sort of sequence of the race was playing out, I had Martin Brundle's voice in my ears saying, be on the right tires at the right time. And all I needed was two or three laps lapping sort of six to 10 seconds up, like faster and they would have made it back anyway. So yeah. I was really surprised they all left it so late. Yeah, I was doing a bit of maths on there, and I thought, weren't they doing like 19s in 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 quali? So obviously they've got full tanks, but I was looking at the times they're going around in like 32s, and you go, ooh, you get three laps on people. Even if it rains, you're, you're probably at least sort of even. You've bought your pit stop. Catman. Yeah, and I think one of the... Um, tragedies of the cost cap is that we don't have the Red Bull guys sitting about three or four miles away with their <laughs> fingers in the air going, yeah, it's raining over here. It'll be with you in about five minutes. Maybe tragedy is a bit strong, but um, yeah, those poor guys who were who used to have their jobs probably don't have them anymore. So now looking at this, you have sort of this, who's going to jump first? And McLaren's like, oh, conveniently, we have one of our cars all the way at the back of the field where they're not going to do anything anyway. We'll jump first. But what was interesting was that his first sector time, sector two, that was properly set, was miles faster. But at that point, the entire field had pretty much gone by the pit entry and only 
three midfielders chose to come in. Battle, Albin, and Gasly. And they all benefited mightily. And I, I know we'll get into it later, but this, I think, was a crucial point we can talk about with Hamilton and his strategy and some of the things Mercedes mm. might have done differently. Yeah, and I think this is a good jumping off point to talk about what, what Red Bull did right. So this really was a, a fantastic display from from Red Bull. And I, I know it's easy to go, well, maybe they did a, a car upgrade, maybe they got the setup right, but it just feels like they were strong in every single area and that was enough to edge them away from the field. I think... We could list a lot of those areas, the things they got right. You could take away one or two of them, and Leclerc is past Perez, for one thing. And then past Perez probably means, you know, maybe not the, the late mistake, and not, not trying to bring everyone onto softs. So Red Bull had to do, had to, even though it looked a bit dominant from Verstappen today, I think they had to do everything right, from a good setup, a, a nice package, a good upgrade, the strategy was correct. Both drivers did exactly the job that they needed to do. They made the right calls on the tyres. I think, Kyle, this is as an as impressive a team display as we've seen for a long time. Very different from the ultra dominant Mercedes, just you know, pressing home an advantage. This is a team that that wasn't. It wasn't a given that Red Bull were going to do that today, and and they they just earned it with brutal efficiency in every area. Yeah. You're correct. And we have praised Mercedes for doing similar performances in in the past. But as you say, we kind of don't expect that utter domination from Red Bull, not just yet. They may well go on to do it this season, but we don't know. But they 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 nailed everything. Their drivers were impeccable. Yeah, apart from Perez's little gardening experience. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Apart from that, like they were absolutely <laughs> flawless. And the strategy, you know, to be fair, Red Bull usually get the strategy right. They were absolutely on it. And I really liked it at the end of the race where they instantly reacted to Leclerc pitting, got Perez in and knew his tyres were going to be a bit warmer. And he managed to get back, back, back past Leclerc, which then afforded Verstappen the opportunity to get the fastest lap and maximise their points as well. So I think Christian Horn said afterwards, minus the one position for the points in the sprint race that Perez didn't, didn't get. They were <laughs> one point away from a maximum team points haul, which is very, very impressive. Yeah. So first of all, that position mattered so much because it put him on the left side of the grid directly behind Verstappen. Oh. It was the reason he was ahead of Leclerc. I'm going to start you know, with that. Do you know what? As the race started, and look, I'm pretty open of who I'm a fan of. I'm a massive fan of, of Sergio Perez. And the, the, my first thought was, oh, like it was just felt really weird to see Perez just pull away properly and come out ahead. Normally, you know, he's not that great off the line. He, he'll be a little cautious and try and survive. It's a good strategy. But to see him just kind of pull away and then be in front of Leclerc, I was genuinely surprised, Matt. I thought maybe maybe he's turned the corner on starts and you've just ruined it for me. Well, I mean, he still did everything right on his side, right, yeah. but he did. they did have a massive traction advantage. And I think that would be hard to argue otherwise. But I want to talk about that chicane cut a little bit. Because yeah. the thing that he did, he didn't just cut that chicane. Yeah. He kept the throttle planted through there. He actually, I think, gained some time on Leclerc in that incident. And again, it was the correct move yeah. for that situation. Yeah, and because you want your track position. Yeah, and Kyle is the closest we have to a racing driver in that you're a very good carter and a very good sim racer, and and all of the rest of us aren't. So the second we get on the grass in any way, you know, we're straight off the throttle going, oh, come on, please, please, please survive. 
you have to be in a good place to keep it planted on the grass. Yeah, and calm and not pinning the throttle too much. Usually my trick when I go off the um when I go off the road and sim racing is do about 20-30% throttle and try and keep your wheel as straight as possible on the grass <laughs> because the grass is wet. He's gone off and done that, but I don't think he escaped penalty or wasn't even investigated for it because it did put Leclerc right onto the back of him. Yeah, he, I think he called his tires down. He was in a bit of a mess and a bit of a kerfuffle sorting himself out. So I don't think it was an intentional. He knew he was at all. If I don't sort this out really quickly and then either give the time up, I'm going to get a penalty. And he played it just right. And he actually ended up losing time net overall in it. I think he wasn't actively defending at the time, which helps. And the, and his lead was significantly reduced. So he didn't gain an, an advantage from doing that. Catman. He was also very lucky not to lose bits of his floor because he did skip over. There's a lovely slow-mo of him just kind of jumping over one of the service roads. And he could have easily taken off some of the straights underneath the car because we know that their floor is quite complicated compared to the Ferraris. If he'd managed to damage his car, that could have put him back in the fight against Leclerc as well for the rest of the race. So he was very lucky there too. Yeah. Carl. Yeah. And one thing that saved his bacon and helped him and Verstappen was we've been seeing a lot this year and we're very, it sounds very odd saying this, but the Red Bull is an absolute ballistic missile in straight line. It's probably the fastest car through there. And you could see even with the might of the Ferrari PU, Leclerc was really struggling to get a run on him. And when the DRS wasn't available, he just saw the power the Red Bull had, like in that Honda PU or the Red Bull powertrains, whatever they're called. Coupled with their aero package, this car has gone from Red Bull traditionally struggling in a straight line to being the, the de facto fastest. And that's it's quite surprising to see, but that really saved his bacon when he did that chicane cut. Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because to me, this is typifies the different approach of these two manufacturers. Now, from what I've read, it's possible that the Red Bull upgrades, uh, particularly the front wing that they brought, um, uh, have resulted in some weight savings, meaning that their acceleration curve is now more closely matched to that of Ferrari, which is important, especially on a wet weekend when the track is cold, because Mm. Ferrari running more downforce will count on running through the turns faster and having better traction out of the turn to put them farther down the track. And then Red Bull's counting on acceleration and a higher top speed to catch them at the end. The weather conditions today, irrespective of tire management, did not really favor Ferrari quite as much as they did in the sprint race where we saw Leclerc ahead but unable to manage the tires to the end. Yeah, actually, it was it was a there was quite a lot of the race pace was different in the sprint, which admittedly I wasn't watching in as much detail because I was watching it on a park bench in the middle of a, a house hunt, which is uh, which is like a testament to some of the strain that the extra competitive sessions have put on on a family on a on a race weekend because I'd already watched qualifying on Friday, so we weren't going to plan our whole Saturday around me wanting to watch the sprint race. As a direct quote. But, for example, Perez's pace was a lot better in the dry, for example. So from a driver perspective, you know, in the slightly damp, different, differentiating conditions where maybe Verstappen's a lot stronger, there looked to be more of a gap in performance. And, of course, that will translate to certain cars technically as well, Matt. You know, Toto Wolff was talking about the effect that the, the cold and the, the damp. Last season, cold suited Mercedes and we were worried when it got too hot because they had cooling issues. Now, if it's too cold, they can't switch their tyres on at all, it seems. Yeah, well, and this is because so many of their tyre warming up toys have been taken away from them 
by the new regulations, all the teams are working very hard to understand how to adapt to the new regulations and get the tires in the windows where they want them across differing track temperatures. And this was a very, very challenging week. And what's very apparent is that after the graining that they suffered in Australia, Red Bull went home, did a lot of homework, and they showed up loaded for bear on Friday. They were on it all weekend. They had the setup that worked, and it worked mm. across different temperatures and across different conditions, and better than Ferraris, it must be said. So I want to talk about Verstappen's performance a little bit, because after the last race, he seemed very down. People were questioning his hunger. You know, there was even comments like, oh, because because he didn't feel like he, he earned the last title somehow, his head is down. Even Helmut Marko was making comments about Max Verstappen saying, oh, we thought a title would calm him down and, and, it, and it hasn't. But I think in this race, like over the radio, there's no question at all that he was very hungry, that he wanted that win, that the motivation was there. He wasn't driving around going, oh, the engine's going to blow up anyway, so what's the point? This is stupid. And, and, and whilst he was, of course, you know, suitably aggressive over the radio, uh, he was, it was, it, the hunger was there, the performance was there. And whilst I, what I was doing, I was watching the, the lap times. And any given lap, you might look at the timing screen and go, oh, Perez is around the same pace as Verstappen. And I know Perez claimed he was tyre-saving his inters, which he may have been, uh, but Chris, the main thing for me watching Verstappen's times is the same thing that uh, Bottas used to compliment Hamilton for, which which was just this consistency and the consistency of lap laps and the 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 ability to maintain that through a stint is obviously the mark of a good driver, and that's what I was seeing today. And that's especially hard in treacherous conditions because the grip is changing yeah. lap to lap, yeah. and you have to go hunt for it, and that's what makes Max. He was so comfortable this whole weekend even when he got behind in the sprint race and was just kind of lurking like a shark behind Leclerc he knew that he had the car and the tires towards the end of the race he'd clearly thought about it and planned it because towards the end of the race he he didn't panic he just made this incredible move to get past Leclerc it was astonishing it was a five lap slow burn that resulted in an an incredible lovely and entirely legal without a lot of bashing pass, which, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing more you could ask for from a sprint race is that at the end of it, you get a pass for the lead after the leader loses it at the beginning of the race. So um, this is not me being down on Perez, by the way, at all. I was just observing Verstappen's driving. And, and actually, the, the gap for a long time, actually, it stayed pretty steady at about uh, two seconds, maybe then three seconds. And then it sort of settled at around six seconds. But the difference, I think, that got the gap like that, I know Perez, it's easy to say, oh, well, I was saving my tyres. Yeah, maybe once you see that you can't quite keep up, was just small mistakes. It was little mistakes. The odd sector just suddenly going going out. And I don't think these are these are the conditions where Perez tends to do particularly, particularly well and the conditions where Verstappen thrives. Uh, but yeah, you could just see that consistency. Catman. Yeah, let's not be down on Perez because this is the first Red Bull 1-2 since Malaysia 2016. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But, you know, obviously being a fan of his, you, wanna, you want him to be pushing and challenging Verstappen. And you say, well, in order for that to happen, you've got you've to cut out the, the, the small mistakes. That is the difference between the drivers like Bottas in the Mercedes who can put together an ultimate lap and are clearly fast and then doing it consistently over a stint. Absolutely. And Max is a very reactive driver, so he can 
tell the little changes in the car and adapt to them and make them work to his ability. Whereas I think Perez, uh, he's he's the long game guy. He, he likes to to play out over a stint and manage the tyres effectively. And in these conditions, it's very tricky. Kyle, uh, back to a, a racing thing. In in karting, when it's wet. I throw my teddies out the pram. I've, I've got no patience for it. I can't, I can't stand it. It's just, it, it ruins racing for me. But I think that what you hinted at earlier, you know, about trying to, you have to go searching for the grip rather than it just being there in that place and you go for it. And I think that people always say, oh, oh it suits the better drivers. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but certainly some drivers are much better at those conditions and having to change your approach turn by turn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in those conditions, the racetrack is a living thing. It is constantly evolving corner by corner, lap by lap. You're never sure of what the grip level is going to be. And you have to mm. essentially make an informed guesstimate of where you can break or where or, or where the grip is going to be. And we saw this during the qualifying, which wasn't the qualifying, which didn't set the, the yeah, conditions for the yeah. grid, but the qualifying that wasn't session. That one, we saw um, Verstappen's lap in there at Tosa. He didn't even bother with the inside. He took the karting line all the way around the outside because he knew that's where the grip was and he could fire up the straight. And we've always said it, the rain makes the greats even greater. Yeah, they, they come out, it's a great leveller, but Verstappen, you know, you've got Verstappen, and this is why I was so surprised with Hamilton's performance, even in tricky conditions. I expected him to pull something out of the hat and... Yeah, Verstappen just. No, that, don't worry. We're going to. That was a ball that was not dropped. We're going to fight about Hamilton and Mercedes later. Don't you worry, Catman. I was just going to ask Kyle a question that I hopefully know the answer to. But how do you know where the grip is in wet conditions? You know, looking at the the color of the the, the track surface. How else do you tell? Well, it's generally in in the wet, and we know this from. I know. People don't like it when we keep talking about karting, but it's ah, very relevant that. when it comes yeah. into this. Um, if you're on slicks in the wet, this is what Senna was really great at. It's what Schumacher was good at. Um, you know that the most used bits of tarmac, i.e. the racing line, are the most polished bits. And basically all the little individual stones in the tarmac, um, when they get used, the edges get rounded and it gets polished and it gets more slippery, which is great for the dry. It gets all rubber impregnated into it, but in the wet, that becomes naturally ice rink. So you know for a fact that the racing line is going to be slipperier. That's why we see it quite a lot when it's wet at Spa and Monza. Even into the braking zones, drivers will move offline onto the dirty, what we always consider the, the dirty side of the mm. track, but it's the less used. That's where the grip is. So you already know that you need to avoid the racing line. And then it's just prior knowledge and experience. So some corners, this might not be true on certain cart tracks that I happen to know at Red Lodge at turn three, you can't do that because mm. there's just no grip anywhere. So you need to go to the inside. And generally, drivers, you will know from your own personal intuition, from your previous knowledge, and just knowing you have this sixth sense and just know where to go looking for it. You're like, I know I need to go to the outside here. I'm not going to bother here or I'm going to monster that curb on the inside because it's going to rotate the car. It's Ooh, all just prior Let's knowledge. not talk about monstering inside curbs yet. We're not quite at the Ferrari not quite in the Ferrari section. Uh, finally, on 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 Red Bull. Look, it was a. I, I was so impressed by by Red Bull today, and everything everything that needed to be done was was done. And I think they've produced a genuine performance there. Nothing given. Just with Perez, I have said to you guys this season. I've seen something. I've seen something a bit different, different to last season. The the style of the cars might not necessarily suit Verstappen enough to bring him back to Perez. Not quite. But the dry conditions in the sprint race, Matt, I'm not mad, am I? Perez looked really strong from, yes, a typically poor, a normal qualifying. He seems to just hate that format and not be good at it. 
But once he was making his way up the pack, I was looking at the lap timings and he, he looked phenomenal in the dry. Yeah. And again, this is Red Bull just simply getting everything right. They got the balance of downforce to top speed right. They've got the car energy worked out correctly. And I think this is just absolutely key. Like, you know, we saw Magnussen say, oh, my tires dropped off after lap 11, which I think was down to Haas having not the greatest setup for tire management, if I'm being honest. But he expected those mediums to come into it by the end of it. Red Bull, no, they were just fast, faster, and fastest. They had a setup that really protected the tires and gave them the best overall uh, time for those 21 laps and and there was nothing anybody else could really do about it all right let's have carl's wish and uh, talk about monstering over curbs listen ferrari fans listen to the sound of my voice i'm not your enemy right now not this season i know we've had a checkered past together i understand i'm not expecting all that hurt to be healed all i'm saying is that your enemy's enemy is your friend and I, I am gunning for Ferrari. Oh, that hurts. And Leclerc in this title fight. Just from a, a fan point of view, you know, you, you pick a horse to bet on and to support. And, uh, and I think I'm kind of weighing in and, and wanting, wanting Ferrari to do, to do well in this battle. But my goodness, we, they have a reputation for Ferrariing. They have a reputation in modern Formula One for snatching victory, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of, of victory. And when everything is looking like it's going right, they have just a remarkable capacity to break the hearts of the Ferrari fans. I, there's no glee in my voice. I'm not, I'm not, oh God, I've just looked on the video. I am smiling. I'm not meaning to be. Stop, stop, stop smiling, Spanners. But it's heartbreaking. Who's the closest we've got here to Tafosi? It's probably you. No, 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 it's Kyle. Kyle, you're the closest. You were a Schumacher fan. Yes, you I was, were. I was never a Ferrari fan. No, I was you were a Schumacher, Schumacher fan. fan One but... and the same. You can't, no, you can't pick and choose between that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm allowed to be a fan of a driver and not a team. Um, it was really unfortunate. Um, Charles, we haven't seen these little mistakes that he's been quite accustomed to. And I've, I think it was only the last race with you, I think we were mentioning that we haven't seen these mistakes that he's been making. And all of a sudden, this one took too much, man. He just took too much of that curve going into the Ariante Bauta. And, um, and yeah, he was pushing, but fair play. Like he... He could have settled for third. He's got his, he's a championship leader and it was, he had a carrot dangle in front of him and he just absolutely threw everything at it. And yeah, it didn't quite pay off, but respect for still pushing and not just settling for third. Um, this is the thing that lost him out to Carlos Sainz last season. Yep. If you give him yep. a car that has enough margin, as we saw at the beginning of the season, he is imperturbable. He will simply do you He'll put the knife, stick the knife in deep and not think twice about it. What? Put dark. him on the margin, put him on the margin and dangle a carrot and he will drive off the track more than he should. We saw it in Monaco last season and we've, we saw it even in free practice, how hard he was pushing that car because he knew at best he barely had a pace advantage over the Red Bull. And this is why signs make such a great partner to him. When Daniel Ricardo, who I will point out once upon a time drove for Red Bull, okay, punted him off. Okay, so I've had some rank hypocrisy just pointed out in the chat room, Carl. I've got a feeling that's what you might be referring to. Uh, no, no. Okay, in that case, Rush in our live chat said, um, 
Perez and Red Bull is a case in point where you can like a driver and not a team. <laughs> and I've just called you out for the same thing and said you couldn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, look, fair enough. Completely correct challenge. And Dave Hart says uh, Charles has been solid so far all season and he's just a, he just bit off a bit more than he could chew today and it was devastating. But the thing is, Carl, we've seen it in the practice sessions where he just pushes to the limit. It's almost like uh, watching like an, a 1980s F1 superstar just just going flat out. I'll do 110%. If the wall comes, it comes. Yeah, he needs some. He needs to make some JPS and grow a moustache. I think if it's from that era, <laughs> yeah, and sort of go it. But um, the reason why I think he dropped it specifically in that location and he was pushing so hard was we saw traditionally throughout the weekend that that is where the Ferrari is the strongest. He was murdering the Red Bulls through yes. the chicane. Well, so, Perez particularly, so, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was his strongest bit. So he so he had the carrot dangle in front of him. He saw Perez and he was like, if I can just take a tiny bit more, I can get onto him and get him. And I think that's why he overpushed in that particular corner. Yeah, you're right. He was completely smashing uh, Perez through there and getting right up behind. Um, but on the occasion where he spun, you could see he wasn't just getting his wheels over. It looked like he, he beached a little bit and the floor took a bit of curb as well. And that was enough to unsettle it and spin it off. Those That chicane, Kyle, is horrible. It ruins the whole track. For me, even like, okay, when I do it on a video game, it ruins it. But it ruins it watching those guys jumping over it every single time I'm wincing. I would prefer like something like they have at Alton Park, like just just some tyres that they or even like, you know, Monaco-esque barriers. I think that those chicanes are the worst kind of, of corner curbing. Yeah, they are. And do you know what I'd really prefer? That they just got rid of it and just straight lined it all the way through to, is it the Rogier? No, not Roger. What's the corner? Rivanta. Well, well, yeah, because the then one. maybe then you'd get another overtaking zone. Exactly. Yeah, you'd get another yeah. overtaking zone. There's no, and we've seen with F1, this chicane reminds me of the middle chicane in Abu Dhabi, which just splits up the straights yeah. and actually just spreads the cars out rather than racing them. Now that chicane has been there since I can remember forever, yeah. but there is lots of space to put a nice straight through bit oh, of time absolutely. And so you I could don't just, know why they leave the chicane. You could be fighting series, could through Aqua Minerale and, and you saw loads of cars yeah. get a really good run but then they run out of road by the time they got to the chicane. Catman. Absolutely. So two things to prove why you're completely wrong. So <laughs> the first one is that it provided only one of two non-DRS-assisted overtakes when George Russell overtook K-Mag into that chicane. Yes, but you say that was... Again, like- because he muffed it up into turn one, but okay, carry on. I'll yep. tell you what, we'll go into that into a bit more detail. I'll just say quickly that obviously K-Mag was a sitting duck at that point. Catman. Absolutely. And the the second thing is the reason why they have that chicane is to reduce the uh, top line speed into the next big stop because they can't put a big enough runoff Uh, at the end because of those. I don't know if you saw the shots of those lovely people eating their pasta and drinking their wine Mm. on their balconies (laughs) watching the racing. It's because those houses are too close to the circuit to provide decent enough runoff if they were at VMAX. Carl? Yeah, but... Uh, there is quite a sizable gravel trap there. And also Jeddah. Where's the runoff at Jeddah? They've yeah. got really fast corners going into sort of breaking zones uh, and street circuits. So I can't see in this modern day of Formula One why they couldn't have a straight line through there. Now, some people would say this is a traditional circuit. Let's not butcher it. And to be honest, the Variante Alta has been a mainstay, used to be the mainstay of the Formula One calendar in the 90s. I remember cars getting it wrong through there. So, But I would prefer to see it as a straight line. I think it's really cool to watch the cars flinging themselves over the curbs, getting there, the slow-mo shots, you know. I don't think if you want if you want to go and watch Rallycross with like jumps and stuff, go watch Rallycross. I don't love it. Matt. 
it's just like icing at um monaco yeah it's a great it's a great tv shot but it's not necessarily great racing mm, yeah before we leave ferrari i mean signs okay i don't think that was his fault today uh, so he's not really had a chance to atone for australia which did seem like it was his fault but he did sort of stuff it did he stuff it in qualifying where where was it well what's yeah. In, yeah he stuffed it in qualifying that was in that final section as well so things are not going well for for signs he's probably put himself out of the early contention and, and disadvantaged himself as like the number two in ferrari i'm i also have concerns with that move from leclerc and i know he'll be being harder on himself than than anyone but he was fighting for second place it wasn't like a, a double pointer if that was with verstappen for the lead that's a 14 place switch isn't it that's seven points off him and seven points on you. I get that. But for second against Perez, I, it just wasn't worth it. The thing is, Catman, if Ferrari want either of these titles, they need to they need to cut that out, all of it, now. Absolutely. He actually lost more points than he would have gained. He lost seven points yeah. from that and having the resultant recovery. Could have lost all 15 that he potentially would have got for third place. So... Yeah, it was a, a big high stakes move and it just didn't work. And he was really mm. pushing it. As you say, I think he's under pressure because Verstappen has won a championship and he knows what it takes to win a championship. He's a cool cucumber now. Leclerc has something to prove, particularly for Ferrari, who haven't won since God knows when. And I think he's under a lot of pressure, particularly at home in front of the Tafosi. He was under a mm. lot of pressure to get to, to stop a Red Bull 1 2. To an extent. But I still feel like this is how Leclerc drives the car. And yeah. I, I'm not quite seeing that, I don't know, would you call it the mental adjustment that we've seen so many other drivers make in pursuit mm. of their world championship. But what we have seen is with enough margin, he's untouchable. So it's going to be, can Ferrari give him the car and the strategy to keep him out of the place that he was in today? So but when we talk about other world champions, and their mentalities, Lewis Hamilton was that in his early career. He had exactly the same where he was, you know, looking to be over the edge. You can look at 2007, and if you ignore the conspiracies that they were forced to throw away that championship because they of were uh, throw <laughs> because of uh, the the photocopying uh, scandal with Fernando Alonso sending secrets over. Um, I've forgotten what gate that was. Was there a name for that scandal? Spygate. Spygate. That Spygate. was the one. You know, he 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 basically, you know. He, he didn't get into the pit lane. I know he was left out on worn tyres, but we saw early Hamilton be very on the margin or, or win or bin. Uh, and then we saw Hamilton possibly going the other way too far last season, doing more, doing less risk for reward and being a little bit more conservative and letting more battles go. And maybe that cost him uh, championship points. So it, it really is down to which mentality is going to suit this season, Kyle, but I'm not confident that if it continues like this, he's going to be world champion? Um, I think he could be. I just think he is just a general risk taker. As Matt said, this is how he drives. He pushes really hard. And this is why mm. we see these little mistakes coming in. Now, up to this up, up to this point, we haven't seen these little mistakes. That's quite a worrying sign. But I'm sure if he gets a big old lead in championship in the later stage of the of of the title race, and he is in a nice comfortable position his team will be screaming at him to calm down over the radio and he will be getting talks but at the moment i think they're happy for him to carry okay. on with his mega pace and his risk taking because i think the red bull well certainly this weekend looked like the stronger car no no yes it so probably I think was they need him yeah. to take 
they need him to take some risks, I think. Maybe, but you're saying you can't think of times? I mean, Baku just pops to the back of my head. Oh, he, uh, oh yeah, Baku, like before, we've seen this. Where Monaco. He's made mistakes when yeah. he doesn't need to, yeah. and he sort of goes, but that's just his mm. limit. I mean, it works the times when it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, like, Baku, uh, Monaco, uh, mm. every Friday practice session. And yeah. Camp, camp. yeah, and this is why pre-season I said that I would back Carlos Sainz to outscore Leclerc again this year over a course of a season. Mm. Unfortunately, what's transpired is Carlos has forgotten uh, any of his uh, talent for staying on the circuit. But realistically, you know, this is how Leclerc goes. All right, let's move on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Did you know that McLaren was on screen for precisely seven minutes of this race. Six minutes and 58 seconds of that was Daniel Ricciardo. Only two seconds showed Lando Norris on screen. All those statistics are made up. But wasn't it amazing how we just didn't see Lando Norris at all, yet he scores this incredible podium, which is broadly on merit. And how come? What, what happened, Matt? Why have, why have McLaren recovered I'm just wondering who did he forget to send a birthday card yeah, to know, at this in point. the director's box. But this is it. It's like it wasn't really a fluke. There was a bit of attrition sort of up at the uh, is really behind, but it seemed like a solid performance. They weren't challenging the top three. So he was he was there for a solid nailed on on merit fourth place. Yeah. And he did benefit from the Alfa Romeo borked pit stop, which uh, put uh, both has 10 seconds behind mm. Russell. Right. And, and kept him kept him from having to really fight with anybody. So he had a pretty lonely race. But what really has struck me is both from the drivers and the team, there's a different tone about where their car is. And this is the first time this season I've heard it. Yeah, I think well, because I think we're all surprised because Bahrain was such a disaster. And I think that was because they had this brake problem. And if you saw their fix the original one for Bahrain, they made the cake tins around the brakes. It was a very crudely sort of put together and TIG welded sheathing <laughs> they put around, which has obviously massively compromised the car. And to be fair to them, in Australia, they were looking pretty handy as well. I think they're just starting to get on top of it. So McLaren were looking pretty quick there as well. And now they're looking pretty pretty quick. And as you say, it's it's on merit. He wasn't exactly being hounded from behind. So 
I don't think McLaren should be too surprised of where they are. I think they had a really good car. We just didn't see it in the first race or two. They did, although my concern is that both tracks that they've done incredibly well at, so Melbourne and this one at Imola, they're, they're not terribly representative of the rest of the calendar, are they? So the ones that were more representative, maybe before they got ahead on top of their issues, so Bahrain and Jeddah, you know, they, they were terrible. I mean, they were fighting right at the back in Jeddah. So either they've made dramatic progress or Imola just yeah. suits their car and they'll go back to the back when they, when they get to a normal circuit. I really hope that's not the case. I don't think it will be. But that's just a little niggle in the back of my mind. And that's a really interesting point. And I think we may be seeing a bit of yo-yoing on performance this year as teams seem to get on top of their car. But this is uh, two races now in a row where they seem to be up there. So like, so, so like I said, let's see what they like. Uh, well, Miami is going to be another strange, not very representative track. So when they get to Barcelona, that's going to be the real key. Yeah, and that brings it back to the tone. Up until now, there, the Norris has been, oh, well, we had a good result, but you know, we're months away from really seeing this car at its maximum. Today, he was like, yeah, no, this this car finished about where it should have. You know, we're not as fast as the first two teams, but we are the fastest third team. And Seidel agreed with him, which makes me think that the fix that McLaren has found is one that has put them back up to the top of the midfield. And finally, on McLaren you know I'm gunning for Ricardo in that teammate battle because I, I made sure we got everyone's allegiances for every teammate battle set. So so I, are you the same, Carl? You've been gunning for Ricardo as well. You have to say, you know, Ricardo, this was an opportunity to score big today. I, I feel like he, he threw it away. Whether you think he should have had a penalty or not, I don't think anyone's arguing. He stuffed that. He's, he's thrown that away and he's ruined chance, chances for points. I don't think he can afford that against Norris. I think he needed to start strong and, and continue strong. And at the moment, it, it does look like he's going to be number two uh, to Lando Norris this season. Let's go on to... Oh, no, here we go. Oh, do we have to? All right. Mercedes! All right. Mercedes. Where where do we start? Where do we start here? I think uh, firstly we start with um, George Russell. Any confessed George Russell fans on the panel? Carl, you'd better be a George Russell fan because <laughs> I, I, I lobbied for and you've done well at being BBC Radio Cambridge's F1 call-in pundit because yeah. uh, Cambridge is claiming him as being Cambridge educated. Uh, even though on the commentary they keep saying Wisbeach born, but Cambridge educated, both counties are claiming him. Yeah. Well, we've, we've stuck a flag on him. Yeah, I don't think Norfolk have even got a radio station. So I don't need, and it means I get to go on the radio and talk about Formula One. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a big George fan. So even though he had the good result uh, the last time out, it, it you know that was I think fairly credited to uh, Hamilton being unlucky on the safety car. Hmm. The, the not concerned, but you know it was pretty much looking like well Hamilton's had the measure of him throughout each weekend, qualifying, race pace generally. And, you know, it's not a time to be concerned because you'd expect someone to come in with Lewis Hamilton and, and not necessarily be immediately on pace. When's the last time that happened? But you needed, if it was four weekends, five weekends, six weekends of the same, reputation starts to take a dive, morale starts to take a dive. He needed a weekend like this and he got it where he was better than Hamilton in every single session. Yeah, he... um as you said, this is the first weekend where he's well and truly outperformed Lewis significantly all weekend. Yeah, in Jeddah, they tried to set up thing with Lewis. But again, in the race, George was really solid. In Australia, yes, he was a bit down on Lewis on pace and was quite 
fortunate to get his position, but this weekend, take nothing away. Like um, he he absolutely nailed it. And I was really disappointed in Hamilton's um, performance, but I think it's detracting and taking away the attention from how great a job George did. And I was really sorry for him in his post sort of race. He, he was apologetic. Was like yeah. Every, yeah. everyone was like, oh, but your teammate is like yeah. really, so, really struggling. So what? I know. Well, and I felt sorry forth. for George. George is sat there yeah. like, hang on, I've just driven the yeah, shit. I know. It was a weird one. It was <laughs> like, a weird on. question. It was a yeah. weird question. I think because people are, are unaccustomed to seeing Lewis Hamilton down in 13th fighting. But when the, the guys finished fourth, He's the best driver of the day. He's finished, what, nine, ten places above his teammate. Forget about mm. what the teammate did. Focus in on the job he did. Absolutely. And and it wasn't like he just lucked into a position and wobbled through to get it. He no. was fighty. He was fighting great past Magnuson. Great start. Really great start and really fighty. And he had the fight in him that Lewis didn't this weekend. Lewis looked meek and mild and didn't want to take a risk, whereas George was happy to really Ooh. lay it on the line and take a risk on the brakes. I'll argue whereas a little with that. I, yeah, well, whereas Lewis wasn't. Look at George's first attempt at passing magnetism. Magnetism? Magnetism. Magnetism. Um, yeah. He absolutely launched it really late on the brakes, and that's something Lewis, you can see behind Gasly, was just not prepared to do. Absolutely, and you could argue that Lewis was caught in a bit of a slipstreaming train because there wasn't a DRS train because there was no DRS on most of the mm. race, but you could argue that Gasly's top speed also was a little bit better than Lewis because of that. But that being said, I want to just point out that George Russell is the only driver to have finished in the top five mm. in every single race this year. Yeah, Tim Rudd's just pointed out he's finished fourth, fifth, third and fourth. Although obviously Hamilton's had good results around that. And the third, yeah, there was obviously the luck with with the safety car, but he still would have finished in the top five there and not affected your stat. I think broadly we need to treat these two things separately. A, Hamilton having a shocker and B, Russell having a really good race. But still, clearly, the potential of that car in normal circumstances wasn't a fourth place finish. So neither driver will really be be happy. But from a damage limitation point of view, again, Mercedes have picked up a good result. The, the thing where I want to slightly defend uh, what Kyle was saying, because first it was a, and yes, yes, Hamilton bias, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll, I'll put up the defense. The, the starting positions obviously made a huge difference. And... The margin in the first run of Q2 was what decided it. Obviously, you would normally have more runs in Q2, but the rain came down. And and from that, everything widened. Uh, Hamilton was stuck in in that train. He then had a a bad pit stop, not his fault, which he would have been 10th. I think he was 10th going into that pit stop. Put, went down to 14th after, you know, a a five-second pit stop. Got hit by Ocon. Again, ruining everything, Matt. Uh, so, you know, you could have seen that could easily have been a seventh place if you look at how the rest of the race shuffled out and how Bottas moved up the pack. Um, but, yeah, so, so I just I wanted to mitigate that because you were saying, well, Hamilton didn't look fighty in that he couldn't get, get past Gasly. The only overtake Russell did was against Magnussen, whose tyres were dead. But I wonder what you think of that overtake, Matt, because it did look... I'm not being a Russell hater. It did look like rough into turn one the, the the overtake looked done and then he went over the curves and stuffed it and yep. magnuson came back so it was far from clean uh yeah anyway so i just want to say first of all i feel like russell did get lucky today i think that sixth was in the cards for him at best matt at mistapex.net 
But one, you had Leclerc drive off the circuit into the wall, five laps yeah, from the end, yeah, which yeah, gifted sure. him a place. And then you had Botas pit behind him at less than a second and emerge 10 seconds behind yeah, him. Yeah, and as well. Which oh, pretty oh, yeah. much let him drive around in clean air. And then obviously Sainz and, and Ricardo as well. So that's a, yeah, a handful yeah. of places. So, so, yeah. Secondly, if we're going to talk about Hamilton, you've already very cleverly pointed out that Hamilton started on the evens side of the grid. I, I didn't, but is that right? Yeah, so he like did. A, okay. Yeah, he yes. had an even spot. Russell had an odd spot. See, so, Kyle. See. So yeah. right off the bat, you can't expect the same start from him. Nevertheless, and despite the woes that he in particular has had from Mercedes about getting his tires into the window, he worked his way all the way up to 11th, which is not terrible. I mean, he was stuck behind Stroll, which to be fair, if you're passing Stroll in the wet into turn one, you are taking, I think, maybe your car's life into your yeah. hands Don't go up at the inside. that point. Don't go up the inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And then the pit stop, he got, he got bollocks by two things. One, you had Vettel, Albon, and Gasly pit a lap earlier. So they had hot tires. Oh, I, I'm slightly going to blame Hamilton for that, though, because he was given the option to do it, and he chose not to. What he said on the radio clearly was that it's too slippery out here, which tells you how bad that car was driving for him. Because other drivers clearly had a different opinion. And if you watched his out of the pits, which I did, he lost, um, coming out of the pits, he probably lost about six car lengths to the car he was directly behind, just trying to get out of the pits. Whatever Mercedes did to his car, they couldn't even get close to getting those tires to the correct temperature relative to a lot of the other people he was fighting with. And that was a major problem for them this weekend. Yeah, he was massively struggling. And it looked like a driver who had zero confidence in the car under braking. Like on one of his three million moves on Gasly into turn one, he wasn't prepared to brake late to even get overlapped. And even mm. on one of the occasions he did brake early, he still lost the rear on entry. And this is one of Mercedes' problems is with the porpoising going into the braking zone, the Ferrari looks like it porpoises worse, but sorts itself out. The Mercedes isn't reattaching. It isn't sorting itself out and very unstable, which is why I thought Russell's move on Magnussen, the first aborted one, was even more oppressive because the car's not stable clearly under braking and he's still took the risk and actually mm, okay. went for it. And so, but it looked like Lewis just didn't have the fight in him. He, there were several times where he could have got on and tried one of these late breaking moves to get overlapped of Gasly, even to wrong foot him into turn one. And he just braked really early. He just backed out, but he didn't even bother. And that just shows how unconfident he is. And this is what not, this is not what we expect to see from a seven times world champion. We expect him to even to take the risks and just, just, just to go for it and take it. But he, he just seemed reluctant to put it on the line today. Just, just very quickly, I think Gasly positioned his car very well into turn one defending. So he defended well. So I just want to put that out there. And he had the Honda to defend with as well. And Sonoda also with that Honda was able to defend well also. He did. But also on a race like this, when we saw it, it was something that we would have criticized Bottas for. It was a very Bottas get stuck, can't move through the field type of performance that we saw in the last couple of years and we would have hammered Bottas for that so in the so in the so in the sort of game of fairness I think Lewis does deserve a little bit of stick for that because it was very un-Lewis like and it wasn't you know I kept thinking yeah it's, it, it's going to happen soon he's going to suddenly come alive and it's going to happen soon and it never did most of the grief we gave Bottas though was for not defending I'll just just slightly clarify but I also, think your point stands 
yeah, not having a fight or, or making the aggressive moves. And Hamilton put his, put his old school Bottas cap on today. And it was Bottas who was looking fighty in the race. It was just such a, everything's turned oh, on its Kyle. head. You can't just go around calling everyone Bottas. Trumpets. Well, I don't know. I can't fault Hamilton. If you don't have the grip, you can't outbreak the person ahead of you. And to me, the problem is 100% the tires. Whatever setup they've put on his car, however they set up the brakes, where they put the calipers, how they've designed the heat transfer. When Lewis is in cold temperatures with this car, the tires do not get up to temperature. And I'll just say, go back and watch him leave the pits. It's like he's driving on ice. It's not like he's sitting back and being unconfident. It's like that's just where the limit of that car was today. And that's on Mercedes. And Toto got on the radio and apologized for it. So I I really, I see where you're coming from. But I'm going to defend Hamilton in this instance. I think Hamilton's got um, a lot to to answer for in terms of that he wasn't doing what he did in Brazil last year when he came through the field in a wet race where he was trying different lines and it was a masterclass in how to overtake. Whereas mm. here, he every single time he got back on the back of Gasly, he kind of feigned to the outside slightly, couldn't get, as you said, he was didn't have the confidence on the brakes, but there was there was no variety in what he was doing. Gasly could just cover him off the same way every single time. It, Lewis Hamilton fighting for 13th is very different to Lewis Hamilton fighting for, for a podium. And like you can almost physically see the, the head down. And it, it must be sort of difficult for, you know, for, from fighting for a championship to then be trying to fight Gasly for, for 13th place. I, I, I get what you're driving at. I think my mitigation to that, Catman, would be Brazil is an easier track to overtake on and a different track to, to try different lines, especially the final corner where he was so good in the sprint race working his way through, uh, getting trapped behind Vettel, then then trying a completely different approach, breaking a lot earlier uh, to get up the hill. So I think this is a different challenge. But I think I think Kyle and Catman, I think you've both got a, got a point. Like the body language of the car and his approach does feel different when he's when he's back there. It's also yeah, even sorry, the best Catman in the, Kyle. Sorry, even even the best in the world. So back in 06, we had Schumacher versus Alonso, and no matter what Schumacher did. He couldn't get past Alonso. So you do have a point in that Imola is a difficult track Mm. to pass on. And it must have been absolutely galling for him to be lapped by Max as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even as a neutral, that hurt (laughs) Kyle. But yeah, it was his whole sort of demeanour and the the interviews during the weekend. He he come across to me as a bit vulnerable and a bit down and he clearly outwardly expressed that he's down. Yes. And that's the one thing I like about Lewis. He wears his heart on his sleeve. But in times like this... And just thinking back, I I didn't ever see sort of Schumacher getting down. It was like, yeah, we're here. We're going to fight him out of it. I think Lewis this weekend, I would like to see more sort of defiance. Like, no, we're here. Let's go and do it. While it whereas we got, oh, the car's really bad. I'm really struggling and we can't do it. And I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I, I wanted to see more resolve. So I know this is probably wrong, but I've had this feeling with Hamilton before where when he feels like the car is not doing what he's done or that he was ignored or that something went wrong or the luck went against him, it, it's almost like it's, this is definitely wrong. But I get this weird feeling that he, he wants it to then be bad so he can go, see, it was bad. I'm, I'm not crazy. And I know that's not going to be accurate, but I hope you know what I'm trying to say, Matt. Yeah, well, it tends to put you down a certain path. And let's remember, this a really does path, go back yeah. to Friday. 
when he had a disagreement with the team about the qualifying tactics where he wanted to stay out to get the tires hot and the team wanted him in for mm -hmm. a new set. And we've seen certainly in spa in the past where coming in and putting fresh tires on when the track is damp is not always the best idea when you're in a Mercedes. And this is what I'm finding so surprising about it. And I can hark back to a 2010 interview with Jensen Button when he moved into McLaren. And they were asking him, what's the thing that impressed you most about Lewis as a teammate? And he said, he goes, what he can do with an unbalanced car. When the car's horrible, I struggle. And Lewis can just go and drive anything. And this is why I'm so surprised. I expected Lewis to excel with a really difficult car. And he has done before. Look back to 2009, the McLaren. And this is why I'm getting a bit worried. We're not, where's that fight gone? I don't think the fight is gone. I think yeah. we're looking at a problem with grip, not a problem with balance. And the way Russell drives a car or the way Mercedes sets it up for him or the way he likes it set up is favoring better tire warm up. But then we see in Australia when it's hot, <laughs> Lewis has better tire management and better pace. It's just the natural trade off of the Formula One engineering. I think talk of Lewis Hamilton's demise may have been greatly exaggerated. It is one race, and I think had Hamilton in that uh, Q2 ended up ahead of Russell, you know, we'd have seen, you know, much different results. But he didn't. Russell did the job. He got out and he set that time in, in Q2, and it ended up being decisive, and he had a much easier run today and took the chance against a an ailing, retired Magnuson, he eventually took that that chance and went and got a good result. So that's all on Russell. And I, I think what we've seen today is a combination of Russell on a good day with the rub of the green and Lewis Hamilton on a bad day with the rub of the green and not taking it particularly well. I think the gap might be exaggerated. The track may have helped exaggerating that, but it's real. Uh, so yeah, well done, George Russell. Uh, a couple of other well dones. Uh, as uh, as I'm aware of the time here, um, very quickly, I think Bottas, very, very good. Without that pit stop, Bottas could have, I think, I think he might have finished fourth. I think fourth was on the cards. To, to, you think third, Matt? You think a podium? I didn't get a chance to look at the gaps, mm. but yeah, he was only a second behind Russell going into the pit stops. And uh, I will tell you, yeah. I think that Alpha was definitely faster than that Mercedes. And he would have, he would have had a chance to dice with Norris for an extended period, for the last podium spot, once Leclerc, of course, drove off the... That's mad, isn't it? Alfa Romeo looking proper good. And, and, and like, no one's ever thought Bottas is not a, a good, a really good driver. He was up against statistically the greatest driver of all time. So maybe we're going to see a, a resurgent Bottas. It didn't work out this time. So maybe we don't linger on it. But I think it's one to watch. I think we can, we can see him in his Alfa Romeo and Magnussen in that house as well doing well Kyle slightly negative Schumacher how many data points I know you're a fan of Little Mick but how mm -hmm. many data points do we need of spins with Mazepin in that house we all said oh well look it, they're both spinning it's a terrible car he's not looking good against Magnussen he's dropped it twice today yeah um, I'm Be I don't worried. have any problem with being wrong and okay. I have backed yeah. um, Mick and I do really, really want him to do <laughs> well. But And and I initially said when they announced Magnussen, I thought that was a bad thing. I would have liked Piastri to get the drive, but I very much eaten my hat on that. Um, and, and, I'm full up, and I'm full up with it and I'm not unhappy. Magnussen has done an amazing job. And yeah, Mick is being a little bit shown up. It was a bit unfortunate what happened in Jeddah because he was looking really quick in Jeddah. But again, the other races we've seen 
Magnussen had, Magnussen has completely outclassed him and Mick had a scruffy race. He mm. actually had a really aggressive start and he almost yeah. pulled off an amazing overtake <laughs> of several cars, but just lost it. That's what dinked Alonso's side pod. Unfortunately. And then he had another spin during the race. Yeah. Yeah. Mick needs to outperform Magnussen yep. very, very soon. Um, and, but I'm happy to be wrong on it. Magnussen has just, well, he's banked him really, hasn't he? Yep. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to say I'm just treating this as Schumacher's actual rookie year because last year was just a waste of time. I okay, the, okay, that's for, one way for the to both look. drivers. Yeah. Having said that, Kyle, your willingness to admit you're wrong about anything is probably me. one of the reasons you're I not on it. the show more. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> this is not the Miss Apex way. How dare you? This is absolutely awful. But hey, look, you know the, the hope is not gone. All I all I'm all I'm thinking is from a career point of view, we tend to treat these guys like uh, like boxers. You know, like we match them up and if they take a big defeat, we kind of go, oh, maybe they're not the boxer. We thought they were. I think Schumacher being beaten by Magnussen in his second season might prove existential. I like Magnussen, but not everyone rates him as a top talent and perhaps getting beaten by Magnussen isn't the best thing for your for your career. Both Alpha Tauri drivers, I think, did well, defended well. But we're seeing the different types of cars might be skewing our view. So I, I don't I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but for example, Magnussen is looking particularly good compared to the rest of the field because it looks like Haas are out qualifying themselves, if that makes sense. There's certain cars that are performing much better in qualifying than they are during the race. Perhaps McLaren, they're looking like a a, 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 a higher competitive team when they're doing well in qualifying, even even when they've been down the grid a little bit. Mercedes have abandoned qualifying as a concept. They basically have written it off trying to get something for race pace. And you could argue that if you look at Russell's results, all in the top five, that that, that tactic has kind of worked from a damage limitation point of view. So it's quite hard to tease out who's doing well and who isn't. Yeah, and also, and this goes back to the Hamilton thing, that it's actually, you know, you, you could argue that it's easier for George to come from a shed and jump into another shed than it is from somebody who's <laughs> who's been driving a five-star hotel and then suddenly ends up in a shed. We made the same um, argument, didn't we, Matt, when Verstappen moved to Red Bull against Ricardo? Yeah, and I just I do want to point out because this is this is a pattern that I see between Leclerc and Sainz, between Verstappen and Perez, and between Russell and Hamilton. In general, Hamilton's had better race pace, and he's been able to, and that's because he manages the tires better in the race. But that means he stresses them less. In cold and in wet, driving more aggressively puts more heat in the tires and gives you more grip. And we've seen Leclerc able to switch on one lap tires where Sainz takes two. And I think there may be some stylistic differences at play as well that particularly disadvantaged Hamilton in this race. I'll counter that with saying that Hamilton traditionally has been awesome in the wet and has been able to adapt his driving style to that dive give you Silverstone 08, for example, where he can just light it up when nobody else can. So I don't think it's that Hamilton is stuck in his ways or or that he doesn't have that in his locker, but he just isn't able to unlock it in this car. Oh, we might all be being a bit previous here. Anyway, a fascinating uh, chapter in the uh, F1 2022 season. Uh, Just like the Australian Grand Prix where we said, well, this is not really representative. Let's not jump to conclusions. Then spent an hour jumping to conclusions. I think we can say the same thing about a intermediate wet track sprint weekend uh, Imola Grand Prix, which is let's not jump to conclusions, even though we've spent uh, an hour jumping to conclusions, Kyle. and also. 
it's Imola. Have you seen yeah. the actual track layout? I mean, that was about as good a race as you can possibly mm. expect. Last year, the rain saved Imola and everyone's like, oh, we had a dramatic race mm. because of the rain. This year, it somewhat did it. Again, when you look at it on paper, it's a track that you wouldn't have thought, regardless of the rule sets, was going to throw up good racing. It's fast, it's narrow, and the cars are huge. So the fact that we got racing yeah. at all, I thought was really good. I thought for, for an Imola Grand Prix, that was a really good race. Okay, uh, I'm less enthusiastic. Perhaps we can end on actually how much we enjoyed the weekend, regardless of whether the driver you support did well or not. I, I have some, I have some issues. I have some problems with the the weekend. I feel like yes, we had a nice mixed up grid from qualifying, and and that happens sometimes in every qualifying session. You get someone who's who's dropped down the grid, and and uh, someone who's slightly out of position, or a little surprise, or someone's nicked the pole by prioritizing their quality setup, and then you see that unfold in the race. And with the sprint weekend, all of that is undone in the sprint race. And we've had four sprint races so far. Yeah, two have been dull because because there was no mix-up in the initial quali. So they've been dull because they've just it's just been the first stint of a race and then a forced red flag overnight. We had Brazil, where Hamilton got a, a penalty for... What did he get a penalty for? The wind blowing the wrong way through his rear wing. So he had to start at the back, and that made it exciting because we got to watch him do that. But without that, it was a dud. Um, this weekend, we had a really mixed-up qualifying, so that's great. And the sprint race was the the best sprint race so far with a very low bar, but it undid all the stuff from the Friday and gave us a much more settled grid for the Saturday. So Kyle, from a sporting point of view, I, I don't see, I don't see what we're achieving. I completely and wholeheartedly agree. Yes. I've been vehemently against the sprint format. Now, look, I'll need to preface this <laughs> with the fact that yes, it was exciting watching a race on Saturday, but the fact that it generally pales to insignificance when you get to the Sunday, you completely get that. Uh, it's curing a problem that didn't exist. None of us <laughs> yeah. asked for it. It all of a sudden come in and it's been, it, it, and it's just clumsy. The statistics don't really work out. The rules don't really work out. And also I find it undermines the other Grand Prix. This is reminding me of the 2014 Abu Dhabi double points. Why are these sprint weekends suddenly yeah. more valuable and there's more points? Someone, I think it was Doug Beattie on Twitter, made an extremely good point during the week saying, saying what happens if one of the drivers gets COVID and it happens to be a sprint weekend? They're penalized more for just missing that weekend or they have like a mechanical failure. Either do it for all of the races or don't do it at all. This has been hand fistedly and... Mm and clumsily implemented to solve a problem that was not there. Now, <laughs> qualifying, what was wrong with it? What was wrong with the previous format? Grand Prix, the clues in the name, the big prize, the big race. I think literally only Sebastian Vettel is testing for COVID. I don't think anyone else is bothering. Uh, Matt. I hate that thing I enjoyed on the Saturday. How dare they make <laughs> me entertained? <laughs> those, those miserable terrible people they did something entertaining and i like to watch it and i hate that i hate it uh, kyle counter um let's let's just go nascar then let's have a let's have 50 races and water down the main event done catman one thing that the sprint race would have done was it would have allowed carlos Sainz <laughs> to have got back to the front of the grid and then he would have been able to have supported his teammate and have a battle with the Red Bulls at the front. So it does 
in very limited circumstances give you the opportunity that if someone has absolutely wrecked their first qualifying session mm. to be able to or just, just them start in championship order every race then matt i i don't really care about that uh, the one point that i i do want to make in all seriousness is we're sitting here going uh, we're very, very focused on the sporting aspect of it. And there are lots of very legitimate criticisms. You're going to say money. But what I'm going to say is money. Are, <laughs> is there not a problem that is perhaps being solved that is just simply out of our purview? And that is the business side of the equation. Money. And I, I've made this argument before. Look, would you rather have a sprint race on a Saturday a couple of times a year? Or would you rather have reverse grid Sunday Grand Prix? I mean, you know, it's that just one reverse grid. They're going to business. The business people are going to business and there's not much you can do about it. I'd rather have a Grand Prix weekend. Just a normal one. Like yeah. just a normal one. This is a problem. We're, we're fixing a problem that doesn't exist. It's not a money. It costs the teams more money. Hence, they've reduced them down to three this year because they're already 23 races. And now they have to do extra sprints, which is extra cost for the teams. Even the guy who won the sprints isn't a fan of the sprints. And <laughs> yes. of Ross Bourne's comment of coming out is like, how about sticking your fingers in your ears and screaming la 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 a bit louder? He's just dismissing all the thing. It's like they're trying to force a round peg through a square hole. They're not giving up and they're just reaching for a bigger hammer when it doesn't fit. I disagree. I think they're looking at something we're not seeing, honestly. And if, again, if you were solving a problem, there are worse solutions than having qualifying Friday, a race on Saturday, and another race on Sunday. I want to hear from well, Catman. I was just going to say that that grid ahead of the feature race would have been excellent. Yeah. You could have had much more strategic options. It would have been much more exciting. Kyle? Like, Formula One isn't exactly scraping around trying to nick 20p off you outside the co-op. <laughs> you know, they are making an awful lot of money, and the money's not really going to the teams. I think the money, the money argument is a complete fallacy really. And I, I just don't know where this come from. You know, who was moaning about the format before we knew about these sprint races? Like, I don't think anybody was particularly unhappy with the format and it's not, it's not solving anything. And if you can't, what other top flight sport yeah. has a varying structure and format depending on which round it seems to be this, this is the thing. It, it just, chan it's just not very formula one, is it? All I'm going to say is you're just forgetting about how much debt formula one was saddled with when they CVC finally sold it off. They leveraged the absolute beans out of that to pay off their shareholders. And Liberty took that on. If they have to do this to make back their money and to mm -hmm. keep control overall, again, I'm just saying there are worse things that could happen. So far with the sprint races, if the qualifying has been mixed up, now, let's let's do it the other way. If the qualifying has been standard and we've started off fast cars at the front all the way down to the slower cars, the sprint race has been boring. When cars have been out of position, the sprint race has been fine, but that's taken away some of the action that we were going to get on Sunday. So far, that's the story of the sprint races. Is that going to change? Is that going to get any better? I'm not seeing the point right now. Feedback at mistapex.net, spanners at mistapex.net. We genuinely love your feedback. Champagne! Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez complete a dominant and well-earned Ferrari, no, <laughs> got reaction there because it was Imola, Red Bull 
1-2. Uh, the team has massively outperformed the grid. They've done everything perfectly and their competitors behind them have frankly dropped the ball. Sorry to Fosi, but your drivers both dropped the ball over the course of the weekend. Carlos Sainz found himself fighting from the back on Saturday and then fighting for a, from a, a suboptimal position on the... He should not have been fighting with a McLaren on the Sunday grid into turn one at all. And then Charles Leclerc with a chance to settle for third place, be on the podium at Imola, pick up points and push forward with his title. Took too much curb. In his own words, got too greedy. At the moment, it looks like Red Bull are the championship unit, even though Ferrari might have the overall on paper better package. We've got a great season ahead of us. Miami, again, a track that isn't going to be representative. We've had Australia, not representative. A intermediate condition. Imola, not representative. We're going to have Miami, a street circuit that we don't know anything about, where just there's going to be lots of shirtless people lifting weights up and down. That's all we know about the Miami Grand Prix. So we have the most unpredictable season, probably since 2012 ahead of us. There's a lot to look forward to. I hope you'll spend some of that journey here with Miss Apex Podcast. We try and do a live stream after the races at 8pm uh, when the races allow. If they're later, we'll just do them later. When's Miami, Matt? What sort of time's Miami? Are we going to have to stay up late? I want to say it is 1800 your hours, if I remember correctly. Well, that's not too bad, Kyle. We can handle that. 8pm. Oh, 8 p.m. So 8 p.m. or 8.30, so you can be having your chips, beans, and gravy oh, okay. while you watch it. Okay, that's fine. So the race review will probably be around midnight, and I will assemble a panel of Americans and Australians and the people who are wired and uh, awake and drinking anyway at that time. Kyle, you free for Miami? Uh, I might be passed out through alcohol <laughs> consumption by that point. Uh, coming up uh, this week, we're going to do some pre-recorded content for Sunday because, of course, we're going to be at the Miss Apex karting event at Ella Park on that Sunday. So it is going to be uh, we're going to try and catch up with Sean Kelly. We we keep clashing with the football schedule. We're going to hear from I think Magnus Greaves in the week. Uh, hear about uh, a bit about a uh, US F1. Of course, he runs Race Weekend magazine and me and matt are going to catch up in person i think on the sunday a bit hungover in the hotel and we're going to put together some content and then i'm going to stagger to the shed and i'm just going to press the buttons and play out the pre-records and just say hello and check in uh, and there and that'll be good but we've got some awards first of all we've got the thing of the weekend catman what was your thing of the weekend there were so many good things this weekend, and I know a lot of people on Twitter were saying that it was really boring, but I thought it was a fascinating weekend. The thing for me was the cars just being able to follow each other so closely ah, around this yeah, terrible yeah, yeah, circuit yeah. For, for following. It made it much more interesting than it would have been. Imagine if this had happened last year. Kyle, what was your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend is the perceived number twos doing really well. So Ooh. obviously George Russell and a bit of Yuki Love. Oh, yeah, Yuki yeah, yeah, did yeah. Really, really well. And it was on top of Gasly. So it was George Russell and Yuki um, putting their team number ones to shame. Matt, two rumpets. Valtteri Botas, for all the haters last season, showing you that maybe, just maybe, he wasn't as awful, terrible, and disastrous as you all thought he was. <laughs> I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to the Red Bull pit wall because they seem to just be managing 
everything. You could, you, even in the face of like drivers going, no, bog off, I'm fine, leave me alone. And uh, in the sprint race, there was a magnificent moment really with Verstappen, because we don't do the pony anymore. But Verstappen, like, basically saying, don't speak to me, ever. Don't speak to me at all. I never, ever want to be spoken to. And then berating the team for going, is the race finished? No one told me it finished. But I just really feel like the pit wall just managed everything. And when you've got a star like Max Verstappen, like Lewis Hamilton, sometimes you just have to you have to absorb and be calm. So in the, the, the same way that uh, Bono does that with Lewis Hamilton, I don't know who is Max Verstappen's pit engineer, wall engineer, race engineer. Anyone know the name? I was at Piero Lamb. Oh, what's he called? I can't remember. Lambiazes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, great job from from the Red Bull pit wall overall managing all of that. So that's my thing of the weekend. Oh, we've all been super positive, haven't we? It's time we. Uh, it's time we go toxic. Oh no, you missed the apex. Yeah, this is where we gain our followers, guys. This this is where we go full outrageous, full beans. Let's be super negative, Catman. You you go on Twitter, Chris Catman Turner. No, no, at Catman F1. Oh, there we go, at Catman F1. Uh, and your TikTok is? Oh, I, I'm too old for TikTok, mate. Well Guys, I told you, we have TikTokers on the show now. We're all meant to have TikTok accounts. There's... I'll leave that to Van Jean. He can TikTok away. He can dance to watching Lewis Hamilton the failing. There's literally no one else done it. I thought we were all doing it. Uh, Missed Apex Award, Catman. Again, there were so many things that could deserve this award this weekend. For me, though, it's just the disappointment that I have in Carlos Sainz. I want him to do well. I really do. He deserves this chance, and he is fluffing it. This is a championship-winning car, and he's nowhere. He's just binning it all the time. He needs to just keep it on the circuit, and then he'll do well. Even if you have to do some Perez-style yielding lap one, turn one. Mm. All right, uh, Kyle, at Kyle Power F1. Follow him. Lots of hot takes from Kyle. And he ha- he used to have a magnificent beard. Now you have a very evil, <laughs> only the g- very goatee. What, do you, what, what style is that? Where you've just got the very uh, end of your chin beard. I think some people have referred to it as a Brazilian. But... A Brazilian. <laughs> that is accurate. At Kyle Power F1. Who missed the apex for you? I'm really sorry. I have praised him loads and i will give praise where it is deserved and i will also give criticism <laughs> where it is deserved don't so do it it is no. lewis hamilton no kyle no sorry <laughs> okay i'm sorry it was his whole weekend performance and general sort of demeanor but again like n- not all is lost and i've got mm. faith but just this weekend was a was a bit of a blip how many grand prix has he started um so many that i don't know the stats so yeah um quite Quite a lot. So you're allowed to drop the ball every now and then. It's just the off two weekend. in four races odd, so far. The odd off weekend. Yeah, you're right there, though. Um, Matt, two rumpets at MattPT55. All the links to everyone's Twitter and social media is in the show notes below, wherever you're consuming this. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Oh, I mean, this is a tough one. I'm almost tempted to say Catman's pick for Miss the Apex missed the Apex for me because I think he's completely wrong. Signs, yeah, he stuffed it a bit in quality, but it was so not his fault in turn one. But you're such an apologist. If if <laughs> if I'm really going to go there, if there was a team or a driver that missed the Apex, I just I'm going to say Latifi. I look at what album did. Albin did. I look at what Latifi did, and I'm just left 
bereft. I feel like he's a better driver than what he's showing us right now. So please don't take this the wrong way. If you're really? a Latifi fan, which would be just Stevens, I think. He didn't cause a safety car. What more do you want? He barely didn't cause a safety car, but he didn't do anything. Look at look at Albin and what he did with his car. Look at where Latifi wound up. And I feel like he's just lost confidence and needs to regain it. Not, I don't think Hamilton's lost confidence. I think Hamilton's like, this is how much grip I have, and this is the best I can do. But Latifi, I feel like, needs a good result to get his mind back in the right place. Okay. I just I don't see where that good result is coming from. Well, that's a different problem. The, the reason he's not done as well as Albon has done is because Albon's a, 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 a top talent, maybe maybe just 1.5 tier top talent, just off the top tier. You think he's top tier, Catman? No. One down? I don't, I don't think he's... I think he's, he's a tier two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tier two's fair. I would put him maybe tier two as well. I was Not a 1.5. Well, we were comparing him to Latifi. I don't think Latifi is in that in that ranking. He's not on the scale. He's an out-and-out pay driver. So, sorry, Matt. I like your enthusiasm, but I don't see where that, that good result is going to come from. Are we doing the good award or the bad award? It's the bad one, isn't it, at the moment? No one's giving it to Leclerc. Sorry, it's got to go to Charles Leclerc. I mean, mostly because I'm wishing him so well this season so that he can beat Max Verstappen, but not like that. I'm sorry, it's the missed Apex Award. His problem was he just hit it too hard. Uh, no, he flew over it. Nothing, no part of the car touched <laughs> that, that Apex. Got to cut that out. I said it earlier, didn't I? You've got to cut that out if you're going to be world champion this year, Charles. This is not a, a rookie year. This is not a build-up year. This is not a reputation-gaining year with the third-best car. You're in a championship-winning car now. This is it. This is your shot. Don't blow it. He listens to this, right? He must do. Must listen to this. Uh, right, guys, that has been a fantastic race review. Please do follow our panel and uh, maybe even consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. There's a little bit of extra content. We've really enjoyed doing our doom scrolling shows where we talk about some non F1 stuff as well. We're doing them every two weeks and then join us in our patron forums as well. If you don't want to support us financially, please. Tell your friends that you enjoy Missed Apex being a part of your F1 experience. Tweet, tell the world, MissedApex.net is the link to share and they will be greeted with some audio and video options as well so they can immediately see whether Missed Apex is for them. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.